happy Mexican Independence Day to anyone who is celebrating. September 16 is Mexico's Independence Day. Contrary to popular belief, it is not Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> Today's also my abuela, my grandma's birthday, so September 16 is a special day, and I get to be here sharing the word with you all, so I feel blessed. When I was early in ministry, very green, like probably my first year interning at Azure Hills, um, I got an interesting opportunity to get some experience. So the church that I was serving at, Azure Hills, had a very good relationship with the city. And so um, the city would often invite the staff to you know, different functions or the city would host things at the church. And so there was this really good relationship um, back and forth between the church and the city of Grand Terrace. And so someone from the city had asked if someone on the staff would be willing to um, uh, share a message at an event that they were going to be having. Um, I think it was called like Hike Up Blue Mountain. So it's pretty obvious what the event was. Like everyone was going to hike up Blue Mountain, right? So um, Blue Mountain is a mountain there in Grand Terrace. And so, um, uh, you know, I guess they had some kind of plan uh, to get everyone outdoors, getting some exercise, and they wanted someone to share a message up at the top of the mountain. Conveniently, no one on the staff was available to do it. Um, it was Sabbath, it was a Saturday, and so they all had, you know, things to do, as pastors usually do on Sabbath. Uh, so they thought, oh, well, this would be a great opportunity for Danielle to get some experience. I think sometimes um, interns get some of the things that people don't want it to do in order to get experience. And so um, I, you know, say that I'm willing. Uh, one of the pastors on staff helped me prepare a message. I think it was about, like, David and Goliath and, you know, the giants we face, the mountains that we face the, and climb. And, you know, with God's help, yeah, it was a simple message, encouraging message. Um, but anyway, so I prepared. I go to the base of the mountain. I meet the person I'm supposed to meet. They um, take me in a golf cart up the mountain, so that was nice. I didn't have to actually hike up the mountain. And, uh, yeah, who wants to do exercise? And so uh, they take me up the mountain, and we get there, and it's not what I'm expecting. Um, I was expecting, like, you know, maybe some music playing. I was expecting, like, maybe some balloons, maybe someone with a microphone. I don't know doing some giveaways. I was expecting some kind of program or like organized event, um, but really people just hiked up the mountain. And so when I got there, um, I asked the, the woman, um, you know, where I'm supposed to, to be, and she's like, oh, well, anywhere you want to be. Um, and I see that, you know, there's people taking selfies, and there's some people looking out at the beautiful view, and there's some people, you know, trying not to pass out, and there's some people drinking some water, um, and everyone's just kind of off doing their own thing, and... And so, you know, I ask her, well, is there going to be, like, any kind of, like, program, or is anyone going to make any kind of, like, announcements, like, when do I talk? And, and she was like, well, I don't know, this is your thing. <laughs> I'm, like, brand new, so I, I just wanted to go back down the mountain. I did not want to do this. And... So I was like, okay, I didn't want to, you know, leave a bad impression on, like, the church, um, you know, I just, 
I was just brand new. And so I like stand up on this big old boulder and I'm like, for anyone who would like to hear a message from the Bible, you can come over here. Um, and I shared, you know, my little talk and there were some kind people who I think, you know, saw me and were probably believers. And so they stopped and they listened and they were kind and they nodded and, and you know, a couple people at a time. And by the end, there were probably like eight or 10 people there. And, you know, I think they were just being very polite and, you know, saw that this young person was sharing the word and thought they'd support somehow. And so um, I finished, they thanked me. And so I turned to the lady and she drove me back down the mountain. And that was it, like that was it. I just, it was so awkward. It was probably one of the most uncomfortable moments that I've had in ministry. As I was up there on Blue Mountain preaching, I remember thinking, I hope that no one thinks that I'm one of those people who like stand on a street corner with a megaphone. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, I hope you like the heat. <laughs> I'm not that person. My message wasn't that. It was an easy message to preach. It was an encouraging message. Um, you can't really offend people with encouragement. We like encouragement. We don't like being told that we're wrong, uh, especially through a megaphone on a street corner or while we're doing chores. Marriage 101, don't tell your spouse they're doing it wrong. Just let them do it wrong. <laughs> I, uh, I was reading, I, well, I didn't read the article, but I came across an article earlier this week that was titled, Eight Ways to Prevent Chores from Destroying Your Marriage. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. Okay, so if you, I mean, I can find the article and I can send it to you if, <laughs> if you need that, okay? Eight Ways to Prevent Chores from Destroying Your Marriage, you know? Correcting uh, how someone loads the dishwasher can start a fight. And there is a right and a wrong way to put the toilet paper roll on the holder. Um, we, <laughs> we don't like being told that we're wrong. And imagine being the prophet Jeremiah and having to tell people that their lifestyle is wrong, that their philosophy and worldview is wrong, that their religion is wrong. I can't imagine that this would go over well. But God calls Jeremiah in chapter seven to go and to stand at the temple gate and to proclaim this kind of message to people walking by. That would be uncomfortable. My message on Blue Mountain was easy in comparison. Today, we are continuing our series on the book of Jeremiah. We're actually following the Growing Together curriculum um, that our Sabbath, children's Sabbath schools and discipler Sabbath school class use, but we are a week behind. I don't know if we'll catch up, we'll see. Um, but <laughs> we, uh, we are looking at a chapter that was actually discussed last week in our Sabbath school classes. In chapter seven, that's the, the text we're gonna be studying today, the prophet Jeremiah starts his sermon at the temple gate by telling his audience that they are wrong, that they are trusting in deceptive words, that they need to change their ways. These people are harming themselves, harming others, and ultimately breaking the heart of God. The end of this chapter describes how they were sacrificing their own children you guys, sacrificing their own children, murdering innocent lives, setting up detestable idols in the house of the Lord, ugly and disgusting practices of the surrounding pagan civilizations had permeated Judah and they were no longer living as God's covenant people. So we're gonna take a look at Jeremiah chapter seven, verses two through eight to see what he had to say to them. 
verse two, it says, stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there proclaim this message. Hear the word of the Lord. Hear, wait, yeah, hear the word of the Lord, all ye of Judah that enter in these gates to worship the Lord. Sorry, I um, was studying in a different version and that's okay. Um, But (laughs) that's why I was caught up a little bit. Okay, I'm gonna read it in my version. Um, Verse three, this is what the Lord, the the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, reform your ways and your actions and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow and do not shed innocent blood in this place, if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, in the land I gave your ancestors forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. In this passage, I hear undertones of God as a good parent. I hear a parent who wants the best for their children, a parent who has great plans for their children, if only they'll obey. A parent who wants to give their children good things and not take things away. A parent hates taking things away. I can speak from experience. A good parent must discipline their child, however, in order to help their children. Sometimes that means taking something away. Sometimes that means allowing the natural consequences of something to unfold. God wants his children to change their ways. God wants the very best for them. God entered into a covenant relationship with them and designed this this contract in which God would be their God and they would be his people. And Deuteronomy 6 reveals to us God's expectation for this covenant relationship. Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 through 6, Moses is speaking here and he says, These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, so that you may enjoy a long life. This is a good parent who wants the best for their children. It continues, verse three, hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. This, this should have been on the hearts of the people of Judah. They should have been faithful to God, holding him in first place in their lives, but instead they are burning incense to Baal. They are sacrificing their children, which God would never ask them to do. They are setting up idols in the temple of the Lord and many other acts of infidelity to God. God's heart is not only broken from his people's infidelity, however, His heart is broken from witnessing the injustice of his children toward one another. 
reading Jeremiah 7, verses 5 through 7 again. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, in the land I gave your ancestors forever and ever. God's God's deal with them is put me first, treat each other justly, and enjoy this land that I have provided for you. If you don't put me first and don't treat each other well, I will remove you from this land. That's the deal here. How we treat one another matters deeply to God. How we treat God's most vulnerable children matters deeply to God. They are God's dearly loved children, too, and it crushes God's heart when we reject his greatest commandments, which Jesus identifies in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 31. Yes, we're going to the New Testament. I recognize that we're studying Jeremiah, but bear with me. Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 31. We're actually doing 28b, so it's the last part of 28 a teacher of the law asked Jesus, of all the commandments, which is the most important? You guys know the answer. The most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. This is taken from Deuteronomy 6, which we just read. And Jesus says the second is this. Love the Lord, love your neighbor as yourself. No one is beneath us. All of us hold immense value to God. Love your neighbor as yourself, as your equal. There is no commandment greater than these, Jesus said. Love God, love others. In the news this week, we learned about the awful story of a woman who was hit and killed unfortunately, by a police car driving through an intersection. And this was back in January. Her name was Janavi Kandula, and she was just 23 years old. The police officer was responding to a call as they sped through an intersection, and sadly, this young woman was fatally hit. Body camera footage went viral this week, revealing another officer um, laughing about the incident, Um, saying, you know, they'd just write a check and that her life had limited value and other terrible things. And this officer is now under investigation and the Seattle Police Department has commented that the footage was heartbreaking and shockingly insensitive. It was heartbreaking and shockingly insensitive indeed. To love your neighbor as yourself is to see everyone as equal. To love your neighbor as yourself is to recognize the immense value that everyone carries in God's eyes and treat them as such. To love your neighbor is to love, is is the second greatest commandment. To love your neighbor, love God, love your neighbor. It's the second greatest commandment that God has given us. And this is what it looks like to be the people of God. Love God, love people to live in that covenant relationship God established with us. We are to hold God in first place in our lives and to treat everyone justly with love and kindness. 
This is the heart of the whole book of Jeremiah, actually. Commentators have said that Jeremiah 7 is essentially a summary of God's message throughout the whole book. Put me first, treat one another justly, and because you refuse to do these things, I must allow the consequences of our broken covenant to unfold. Continuing Jeremiah 7, verses 9 through 12. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known? And then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say we are safe. Safe to do all these detestable things? Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? Can you think of another place in scripture where this term den of robbers is used? I know it may feel like we're jumping around a little bit, but I hope that we see that the word of God preaches itself and all these passages are connected, though they are housed in different books from different time periods and different testaments even. We'll look at Mark chapter 11, verses 15 through 17, which is in the New Testament. Jesus is saying, uh, he quotes two verses from the Old Testament, and he says in Mark 11, 15 through 17, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. As he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a what? A den of robbers. We don't have the time this morning to deep dive into why Jesus is angry and condemns some of the activities of the money changers and merchants. This is a, a sermon, certainly all on its own, but we know that they were holding sacrifices above heart worship. They were exploiting the poor who could not afford what they were selling. They were also pushing Gentiles out of their place of worship. Jesus is angry at the ethnic segregation of people in the temple and cites Isaiah 56, verse 7, showing that God-fearing individuals, God-fearing Gentiles, would be welcome in the restored temple. The location where Jesus cleansed the temple um, and overturned those tables was likely the Gentile court. Gentile is the term for anyone who is not Jewish. The merchants, the money changers, had taken over the, place, the only place that the Gentiles could worship. The only place that they could worship, as if to say that their worship um, was not important, it didn't matter, it didn't have value. Jesus was protecting the space allotted to the Gentiles to worship in the temple. And he says, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? which is coming from Isaiah 56, but you have made it a den of robbers, coming from Jeremiah 7. We do not see Jesus angry very often, but when we do, it is because others are being oppressed or treated unjustly. This is righteous anger. It's not like our sinful human anger. When we read Jeremiah, God's wrath and judgment is a recurring theme. 
Again, this is righteous anger, not like our sinful human anger. God's wrath is derived from a broken relationship and infidelity on the part of his people. God's judgment is derived from the injustices that he's witnessed. Imagine having to witness all the horrific things happening all over the world all the time. Imagine seeing people that you love and who hold immense value to you suffering. We sometimes have to turn off the news because we just can't handle hearing another second of it, of the tragedies going on in the world. I follow some accounts on Instagram that expose the world of human trafficking and I'm, I've been tempted to stop following because I'm just sick to my stomach every time I learn of a victim's story. And God sees all of this. God has to witness all of this all the time. God saw his precious little ones being sacrificed to gods that don't exist. God saw immigrants being oppressed. God saw orphans and widows being treated as dispensable. Yes, we see a lot of wrath and judgment language in Jeremiah, but we also see a God who has pleaded with his people to change their ways. We see a God whose heart is broken from the infidelity of his people. We see a God who cannot stand the injustices and the suffering of people he created and loves. We see a God who is like our parent, who is our parent, who deeply cares for all his children and will discipline them in order to win them back to himself. The message of the prophet Jeremiah was a difficult one to preach. May we learn from it and remember to walk in obedience to the two greatest commandments, to hold God in first place in our lives and to love him with everything we have and to love our neighbor as ourselves. God, you are so good. You are so good, regardless of the things going on in this world, Lord. We know that you care for each one of us deeply. You see us in all our circumstances, and you are so good. And I just pray that we would remember to put you first in our lives, Lord. As we leave this place, that we would keep you in first place, and that we would love our neighbor as ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.